So Money Episode 773, Ask Farnoosh, with special co-host Heather Horton. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. You're listening to So Money, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Happy Friday. As always, it's Ask Farnoosh time. We have a special co-host with us this time around. She is a listener. She is a comedian and actor. Obviously, I want to pick her brain because, you know, I'm taking like some comedy classes at night and I'm doing it on the side and I'm I'm not doing very well. I'm doing okay, but, you know, I think I'm putting a lot of pressure on myself. So it's nice to have her on the show to pick her brain. But before we bring her on the stage, I just want to just want to chat a little bit and catch up. You know, it's been a really good week of episodes we had on Jacqueline Johnson on on Wednesday, Jacqueline Johnson is the founder of Create and Cultivate, which is a very newish, popular event that's been going on, uh, I think, in LA and other cities. The idea is let's gather a lot of these like professional women who want to advance in their careers, who want to network and learn and be inspired. And they bring people on to speak like Gloria Steinem to Kim Kardashian and everyone in between. And I don't know what you – you know, what your feelings are about Kim Kardashian or Gloria Steinem, but I think that's a pretty amazing spectrum of women. And um, it's gotten to be so popular so quickly that it's actually launched a whole other brand called Work Party, because that's kind of what people were calling these events. Like, this sort of feels like a work party. So Work Party is the new brand that Jacqueline has now, like, suddenly built out of Create and Cultivate. There's a book, there's a podcast, there's content. So I encourage you to go check out Jacqueline's work. And by the way, Jacqueline like was an intern, you know, not too long ago, getting coffee for her bosses and then just kind of like hustled it and had a vision and very, very inspiring interview. Here we are. It's the 24th. My family and I were getting ready to pack the car to go out to Long Island this week. This entire forthcoming week, we will be quote unquote on vacation. Mom's got a few phone calls uh, during the days. And then also... During our vacation, I have to go back to the city for my comedy graduation performance. So some of you have been following my attempts to make jokes and you can come if you're in the tri-state area and you've got a free night on Wednesday, August 29th at the Gotham Comedy Club. I will be there along with my fellow classmates doing our best do our, our acts, so to speak. We've been practicing. We've been kind of trying to rearrange our jokes. We've been getting a lot of feedback from our teachers and our classmates. So five minutes, make it or break it. And I'm, uh, I'm like 85% okay with my set. I feel like really what it comes down to and our, our co-host can probably, uh, educate me more on this, but like it really comes down to memorizing your act so well that when you get up on the stage, you can be so comfortable and ad lib maybe and just, just be so solid on with the material and the words and the sentences that, you know, you can actually go out there and have fun, which I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm still trying to memorize. All right. So uh, that's Wednesday, August 29th at Gotham Comedy Club in New York. If you are interested, you can go to the website gothamcomedy.com and 
book your ticket. It's a two drink minimum, but you can also order chocolate milk if that is your thing. All right, let's transition now to the So Money questions and our So Money co-host, Ask Farnish co-host rather, Heather Horton. Heather, welcome. Thank you. I love chocolate milk, by the way. Yeah, I know some people, I have a lot of friends who are like not drinking anymore. It's uh, it's good. People are being healthy. I like it. Um, Heather, you're an actor. You're an improviser. You're a comedian. You live in LA. You're living the dream, my friend. You've uh, performed in over 300 improv and sketch shows at the Second City, UCBLA, The Groundlings. You've been on, uh, gosh, NBC, ABC, Fox, Nickelodeon, I mean, you're doing it. You're living the dream. And by I say like the dream, like my dream, you uh, are also someone who's very interested in personal finance, which I thought was also very cool and different. So tell us a little bit about how those two worlds are intersecting for you, your passion for comedy and performance and also your passion for money. Yeah, well, it, it well, you know, you can go from being... <laughs> also, you have to be really funny the whole time because, you know... <laughs> No, no pressure. pressure. Yeah, no pressure. Um, yeah, I went when I started. I was, of course, in another city, and I was just doing the normal stuff, nine to five gigo stuff. And then I moved to LA, and to be available for auditions, you have to be kind of almost in a gig type of job, and you can't really have a full time type gig. And so I went from like a nine to five salaried, got a four hundred one k kind of deal. To oh my god, I have to be flexible, so I'm piecemealing a schedule, a work schedule together, and all of a sudden I'm an independent contractor, and so my world was kind of turned upside down. And then of course, it, you have to kind of manage everything actor related and everything else because you get to LA and everybody's got their hand out like, hey, oh, you want to be an actor? Oh, let me teach you this, and here you can learn this and whatever, and then like, give me five hundred dollars a month. So you have to initially you're like, oh okay, and then you realize, holy crap, I'm spending so much money, uh, doing this actory thing. All those and- green juices in LA. <laughs> yeah. The yoga pants and green Kale, juices everything. are super expensive. So yeah, I had to kind of get everything under control. And then I went through a major injury about four years ago and that turned my world upside down. So really since then I've just, I'm excited that I've educated myself, you know, with, with people like you and, and, um, just blogs and everything else, just trying to kind of get everything under control. And I've, and I'm learning that, yeah, I can have a career because I've had an amazing, actually the last three years have been amazing. I, I can have a career and not break the bank and not give everybody who wants money from me, you know, everything that I have in my bank. <laughs> you have, you're taking on some ownership of your financial life. Tell me a little bit about how you personally have been able to achieve some success. I know this is stuff you can't even tell me because you're under NDA, but that's exciting. That's like a, you know, good situation. You have been strategic and I understand too, you like have a job to pay the bills, but also very committed to auditioning and performing. So is it just a matter of like saying yes to everything, putting yourself out there, being available to the best of your ability or slash luck or like, what is it in your world? Yeah. Initially it is saying yes to everything because that's how I started. I actually, basically you look into 
film schools. If you're like in a, in a non, like a New York or LA city, find out if there's a film school close by. And then you can do some stuff with those guys, the students, um, moving to LA. Yeah. There's obviously amazing film schools here. So you, you know, I got here, I didn't have the connections, even though I'd done a couple things, you know, back in, I was in Nashville before I moved to LA and came here and of course got in contact with those guys and working with some film schools. But then at a certain point, you have to start saying no to things because if you're running around being a crazy person, then you're not opening yourself up to the next step or the, you know, elevating the career. So I, I, once I started to kind of turn down some things or not really go after those type things, I started kind of taking the career to the next level and booking national commercials and booking TV shows and that kind of thing. So it's been, and not r- feeling like I'm running myself ragged. Mm. So yeah, this, this year has been awesome. And I have, there's a show coming out in September, which I'm super pumped about and I can't say what it is, <laughs> but I worked with, you'll, you'll be pumped when you see it because, uh, you're doing some comedy and it's with a comedy legend. Um, so I'm really excited about that. All right. You heard it here first, everybody. Heather is going places. And so I will take all the credit for that. (laughs) Um, Really excited to have you on this show in particular, because we do have some questions about things like negotiating your salary, um, dealing with employers who want to learn what your current salary is in order to then give you an offer. And and I, I know you're in California, and I think they just passed a law where that's a no-no. You can't do that anymore. Uh, but let's get to that question. The first is from Melanie. On Instagram, everybody, you know, I'm having a lot of fun on Instagram, answering your questions and being silly and also hopefully helpful. And Melanie asked on Instagram, how do you handle prospective employers asking how much you currently make? I am underpaid in my current job and looking for another position. However, Every interview, I get asked how much I currently make. I prefer not to tell them. Any prospective employers, sorry, are prospective employers even allowed to ask that? Do I have to answer honestly? So firstly, it depends on your state whether it's allowed or not. And I think, um, I don't know where else besides California. I think in New York, they're moving towards this or they already have too. So check with your state laws because it may be legal. And now I wouldn't tell them like, well, that's an illegal question. But I might say something along the lines of, I think that last I checked, it this was actually not a question that was that uh, employers were allowed to ask any longer. So if it's okay, I'd like to pass on this question. But you've had, you said to me, Heather, that you actually had a similar kind of scenario being in LA too. How did you navigate it? Yeah, they actually, now, yeah, you're exactly right. California, they made it illegal. uh, I think it was the first of this year. I think it went into effect the first of this year, which is great. But you get, with everything, everybody has to fill out you know, their little application. And I would just leave it blank if I felt like I was underpaid. If they, if it was something not digital, I think everything is going digital now, Ugh, everything, um, which is not a horrible thing, but you know, they won't let you go to the next section if you don't fill it out. But yeah, if you, if it's a paper application, you can leave it blank. You don't have to fill it in if they, and if they bring that up and then you can discuss it in the interview and you can kind of pivot the question and say, well, I'm looking to actually, make this and blah, 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 whatever. But yeah, I mean, this was, uh, I'm glad that California kind of took that step to be honest with you, especially with the, the pay gap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a really hard thing to, 
I hate this question. You know, I just think it's such a cop out when employers do this. It's mostly because they want to not overpay you. <laughs> Let's be honest. Yeah. It's not like, oh, I don't want to lowball you. I want to like pay you. It's not because, oh, I want to pay you twice what you're making. So I actually had this, I'll give an example. This was years ago in New York. There was no law prohibiting this. And I was switching companies. And I was, I also felt like Melanie, I was being underpaid at my company. And so before I started interviewing elsewhere, I went to HR and I asked for my salary band. And I said, okay, so I'm making $45,000 a year and my role is producer. So what is the budget that the company has set aside for this position starting with the least amount of money to the highest amount of money. That's the band or the range, so to speak. And a lot of companies have this information. You are completely privy to it. I would say startups probably don't have it, um, but it's lar- a lot of like mid to large size companies will have this and HR will give it to you if you just ask, should give it to you. And I learned that I was, my position had a range of 40 like 2000 all the way up to like 90 or $85,000. And I was still in like the one percentile <laughs> of that range, which, uh, annoyed me, but it also was great information. So I used that to go into the next job interview when the salary question came up and they said, how much, they didn't say how much are you making, but they said something like, how much would you like to make, you know, for this position? What are you thinking? And I said, you know, um, I didn't lie, but I did sort of allude to the fact that I was making more than I currently was. I was like, well, I would like to, um, uh, you know, close to double what I'm making. Um, and so I would like to make a hundred thousand dollars. And they said, well, that's more than what we budgeted for, but, uh, how about 85? And then I said, uh, I don't know. And then they said, well, okay, we'll give you, um, 85. And then in six months we can revisit your salary And I said, how about we make it 90 and I won't bother you in six months because we all know that's also a cop out. They don't want to talk to you in six months. You're still new at the job. So I said, let's do 90 and then we'll talk, we'll talk like, you know, not in six months. Like we'll just, we'll just call it a day. We'll do it. We'll do a handshake deal. And that's how I got my nearly doubled my salary. And I wouldn't have had that kind of sort of chutzpah to ask for it because other, if I had not gone to HR and, and known like what I was actually worth, you know, like, okay, the salary band, wherever you fall on it, um, it doesn't mean that is what you're worth. What you're truly, your potential is the highest on that salary, on that, is the highest number on that salary range, according to me. That's how I felt. I was like, I'm, I'm working like I should be making eighty, ninety thousand $90,000 a year, but I'm only getting paid this much. And I had asked for raises. I felt like I had delivered a lot of value. So I went to the next job interview saying, I want to, you know, make a hundred K because I think that's what I I should make. And I knew not to, and I knew that wasn't going to be a preposterous ask because I knew that's what the market had budgeted for, um, at least at my company. So uh, I would say, Melanie, to say this, this is the script. If this is a state that you live in where it is permissible to ask for your salary, current or historical, just say, you know what? Um, I would really love to spend more time first learning about the role and how I can bring value. Um, you know, what you say, like the job that I'm doing now, it's not 
on par with necessarily um, all the things that I would be doing here. So I think to share my salary with you currently, it's going to uh, not be a viable reference point because this I'm not going from apples to apples, right? What do you think? Do you think that's like a fair statement, Heather? Oh, yeah, absolutely. We tend to undervalue ourselves, women, I'm just in mm-hmm. general, um, when we're asking for salary. So yeah, I absolutely think that would be the right thing to do. But be as honest as possible. And, and you know, the, you'll read a ton of articles on this, I'm sure, if you Google like salary negotiations. And every article I've read is like, just defer, just defer answering this question until you, there's like, you're basically cornered. And if you've had, here's the thing, if you lag and you don't answer this question until like your third interview, your fourth interview, that's great because at that point, the company is really invested in you as well. They've been taking time out of their day to interview you. You're clearly the hot candidate. So throw out the number that you want to make and you know, make sure it's backed up and justified. Don't just like throw out a random number, but like go to your HR department, ask for salary range, talk to friends who have jobs that are in this industry who might have a sense of what that position would go for so you have some, uh, some, some, some context. Good luck. Think about the security Fortune 500 companies use. They need to know police are going to be on the scene immediately. This is exactly the kind of security you get with Simply Safe. If there's a break in, they use real video evidence to give police an eyewitness account of the crime. And that means police dispatch up to 350% faster than for a normal burglar alarm. With Simply Safe, you get comprehensive protection for your home. Outdoor cameras and doorbells alert you to anyone approaching your house. Entry motion and glass break sensors guard inside. Plus, Simply Safe protects your home from fires, water damage, carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's all monitored 24-7 by live security professionals. You can set it up yourself with no tools needed, or they can do it for you. And it's only 50 cents a day with no contracts. Visit simplysafe.com slash so money. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. Be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash so money so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash so money. Next is Kelly from Instagram. Also a question about retirement, Heather, and she has a 401k with a 6% company match. I understand she is maxing that out to get the, get, get the full match. So she's effectively getting 12% of her income uh, put into the 401k. She also has a pension. What? Who has pensions anymore? <laughs> yeah. How does that even work? And then she wants to diversify her retirement accounts and play some catch up. Really? It sounds like she's doing really good. She wants to have about $100,000 set aside for retirement because she's like 32. And yeah, there are a lot of calculators out there, rules of thumb that say that you want to have at least your salary saved in a retirement account or accounts by your 30s. So assuming that's what her salary is, I guess that's what's kind of putting the pressure on her. But I would say, Kelly, like, stay the course. I mean, you're doing really well. She asks, should she open up an IRA, a Roth or a traditional? She's like worried that she's going to not qualify for the Roth soon because she's going to start making too much money, like over $120,000, which is going to cap you out of that. 
If, if you do want to diversify, let's say, your tax exposure in retirement, a Roth IRA may not be a bad move since your 401k has different tax benefits. A Roth is works kind of in the opposite direction. A Roth, you don't get the tax deduction today, but you get to withdraw the money in retirement tax-free. And so do that. Maybe take out a Roth, invest to the max you can this year, which is 5500 And then next year, if your salary increases – then call it a day with the Roth. At least you've got 5,500 in it and that can continue to grow if it's still invested. So, but I mean, I don't know how much, I wish she had told me how much she currently has in total saved. With the 401k, she's doing the best she can do. If she if she likes the 401k and they have some good investments that are low fee, like, a, like index funds or ETFs, then maybe pick a few of those and maybe add a few more percentage points from your salary to it to get to that 100,000 goal. But I don't think you have to make too many crazy moves. What did you do with your 401k when you left your nine to five, Heather? My 401k sat there and then my company, and I didn't know what I was doing at this point. I honestly had no clue. Um, and it sat there, and then I finally got a letter from the company saying, hey, uh, you got to move this out of here. Here are some options. And so I rolled it into a, uh, an IRA. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, it sat there because I was not educated on what I was doing. I had no education growing up on investing. I had none whatsoever, only on like saving. So... It wasn't until a couple of years ago that I um, I actually have a Roth now. So that one was rolled into a traditional IRA, and then I started a Roth. So cool. I actually, yeah, I have both IRAs and a individual brokerage brokerage account. So there you go. Um, but Fantastic. Kelly's killing it. Yeah, I really am curious how I know, much Kelly. she has. This is my audience, Heather. You you included. Like we're all financial badasses. I mean, yeah, we can definitely get some improvements here and there. But in general, I mean, this is fantastic. I love the way that she also asked the question. Like she's telling me all the things that she's already done so that I can not give her, you know, repetitive advice. Um, I want to ask you a question, Heather, about when you decided to leave, to move to LA, that must've been a big decision for you. How did you, what did that kind of pros con table look like? And what, what made you ultimately decide to make the leap? What ultimately did it was I actually, I was cast as a, a, the leading role in an independent feature and I won a best actress award at a film festival. And I, you know, I actually got a lot of people like, Oh, this is great. Oh, you did great. Oh, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, Oh God, maybe I could make a living at this. So I decided to make the move, but ultimately it was because my mom who is a, was a dance instructor. She's, she's since she's retired, she sold her studio, but she always wanted to be on Broadway. And she always wanted to be a rocket. Now being a rocket, she was too short. She did not back then the height requirements were much more strict, but she could have at least maybe auditioned for, you know, Broadway show or, or whatever. And she never did it. And I, I've heard her say that she's always regretted it. And I never wanted to have any regrets. If I felt any part of my being that I had some chance at making a living in a creative way that I wanted to at least give myself the chance to do it. And so I just said, you know what? Got to do it. Got to let's, let's, let's roll with it. And I just, I'm a, my right brain and my left brains fight constantly and I'm a planner. So I kind of planned out when the move was going to happen and saved up the money and kind of went from there. Wow. And so financially, did you feel like you had to be in a certain place before you could make the move? What made you confident that you could figure things out money wise? 
I definitely felt like I needed to have so much money saved up. I had already reached out to people that had lived here. I knew how much it was. It's so expensive in LA. Uh, my, my cousin was like, it's like having 10 kids. Um, it's ridiculous. Not just one kid. Every year people are like, Oh, I have a kid. It's so expensive. Oh, it's like having 10 kids living in LA. It, I, I knew I had to have so much money. I also looked into types of jobs that would kind of help me transition. So I'm actually a licensed physical therapist. So I actually took a travel gig, which pays you a ton of money. So that actually paid for my moving expenses. So I took a contract gig for like three months and they give you a crazy ton of money up front. And I worked at this skilled nursing facility for like three months, first three months I got here. And I just used that time to get settled in get the lay of the land, tootle about, look for improv theaters, you know, comedy stuff, that kind of stuff. So yeah, it was uh, a little planning. That's smart. I love that. Well, you mentioned earlier that you're listening to or tapping some other financial resources. Can you share some of the others that you like? Yeah, I, um, there's podcasts, there's blogs. I like, uh, well, Mr. Money Mustache. I like that guy. Um, I like Paula Pant, which I believe you're friends with. And uh, the guys over at Stacking Benjamins have been helpful, I think. And uh, Magnify Money, I mean, the Penny Hoarder. I'm just throwing out a whole yeah. bunch of stuff. <laughs> I just posted a video, or rather, a picture of me and Mr. Stash on Instagram this week or earlier this month. And. Um, as a throwback to my financially fit videos I did for Yahoo Finance. I don't know how long you've been following me, Heather, but I've been around the block. And <laughs> years ago, I hosted a financial video series for Yahoo, and I actually got the chance to visit Mr. Money Mustache at his house in Colorado, spend like a day and a half with him. Pretty cool. He's a great family. I love I love his wife. So a really quickie question from Michelle on Instagram, who's been a longtime listener. Thank you, Michelle, for, for submitting a question and for being a subscriber to So Money. She's got two boys in high school. And so her question is, question is, is it too late to start a 529 plan for them? Well, it's never too late to start a 529 plan. There's no deadline. You know, ideally you would start one as soon as possible to be able to benefit from all that compound interest and also depending on the state that you open up this plan in that you might be able to also benefit from some tax breaks. I know in New York, uh, there are some tax advantages to the New York State 529 plan as for New York residents. And so, you know, it's really about what your goals are with this 529 and also realizing that the money that you're investing in the 529, you know, it's not going to be just invested in like cash or a bond necessarily. It might be also in things like stocks and mutual funds and more aggressive vehicles. And if your kids are just a couple of years away from college, at which point you want to tap that 529, you know, just be sure that whatever money you're investing, it's not too risk exposed. Because if the market tanks and then you need this money, you've you've lost and so it's better. That's why, again, to have the time to recoup from the volatility in the market. Uh, but if you do live in a, a, a state where there is a 529 available with some tax benefits, that could be something to can definitely consider that, you know, because whether you started it 10 years ago or now, you can still take advantage of those tax breaks, which could save you money. And by the way, you know, 529 plans are the sort of thing where 
even once your kid enters college, you know, you don't have to use it right away. You could save it to maybe use it just for like senior year or junior year. And at that point, you've got more time to let the investment grow. And you can also transfer the funds over to another beneficiary. If you you realize like, oh, my, one of my sons got, got a full scholarship, that's amazing. So then you can maybe take that 529 and give it to another relative or you, one of you, if you ever wanted to go back to school or if your child then wanted to go to graduate school, there's, a lot, there's some flexibility there. But you can go to collegesavings.org. That's the College Savings Plans Network. We're going to finish off here, Heather, with a question from Megan, also along the lines of career promotion salaries, how to negotiate a salary during a promotion. So good news. Megan's getting promoted. Congrats. And her company's creating this new position for her. She has done research on salaries for the type of work and level of experience, which is great, but wants to know, do we have any tips on how to negotiate for more in this situation? Anything that she should tell them or put in writing. She says, also, my manager does not have control with regards to salary. So it would have to go past him to HR, which is good to know. So I think if I have anything to say here, and and then I'll pass the baton to you, Heather, it's that it's important to find out in all, for everyone out there listening about salary, promotions, things like that, the person you're negotiating with often isn't the one that's going to make the final decision. They're the ones who then have to go and 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 share your case with someone who actually has the authority to decide on the salary. So that's important to know. Your job then as somebody who wants to make more money is to make it super easy for your manager to then go and um, speak on your behalf. So lay it all out. Have your bullet points you know what, put it in writing because that's going to help your middle man here or your middle woman to then go and advocate for you. If you can make a really compelling case, here's what I've researched. Here's the value that I'm going to bring. At our company, we play people, we pay people at similar senior levels this much money. Now, they may not be doing the same exact thing, but this is what the company has previously budgeted for people with this many years of experience, this sort of a senior responsibility. That's all important context. Put it all out there. Give it to your middleman manager to then go to HR. And I think the more equipped this person is with data, the more they can feel confident about being your advocate. So that's what I have to say. Heather, did you have a situation like this? I think you said you did earlier. I did. Yeah. I actually, uh, for my physical therapy gig, they created a position for me and I did not go in prepared. So I would say for sure, I hate the word productivity, but there it is. Uh, Find out what, what your, as far as your position, what you're doing for your type of work, show them on paper, like you said, what you can do and get the return for it. And that way they can justify giving you what you want and then go high Go high because then if they come back, you know, they can, you, that gives you that step down. Oh, okay. Go high. And then they'll be like, oh, well, we'll give you this. You're like, okay, that would have been fine anyway, but don't come in at that. And then, you know, they kind of go lower than that. So I actually lowballed myself. I went in and said, oh, yeah, uh, I would like this. They're like, okay. They literally just said, okay, <laughs> right there. <laughs> and I'm like, crap. <laughs> well, yeah. The, so, yeah, I always say, like, whatever you want to make. 
um, add like 10 or 15 or 20%. And that's what you ask for because your employer is expecting a back and forth. But if you go in really low and they're like, okay, you know you haven't done your job. You know you didn't go in high enough. Sorry. Well, how is it like negotiating on your – like in Hollywood, Heather? I mean, I, we're hearing people like – you know, famous Hollywood women who, oh my God, she was making half of what her male co-star was making. I blame the agents. Yes. Yes. That is like a big debate. Yeah, definitely. The, it's up to the agents. Now, of course, they may not know what the male, you know, if they don't have the same agent, now if sure. they have the same agent, then that's for sure is an agent problem. Um, if both the leads have the same agent, but if they have different agents and they don't, they're not talking necessarily talking to each other. So they may not know unless they, the studio discloses that. But yeah, I think the big thing was on the crown with Claire Foy, who was brilliant on the crown. And of course they got, you know, the guy from, Oh shoot. What is that? The big, oh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. All the, oh, yeah, the mm-hmm, yeah. All the money in the world. Michelle Williams was making like pennies to reshoot uh, some scenes because uh, Kevin Spacey, I know too much about this, because Kevin Spacey was fired <laughs> for reasons we you can Google. And um, everybody had to come back during Thanksgiving to reshoot. And the, the producer apparently said, oh, everyone's doing it for free. So Michelle Williams was like, well, I'm not going to like obviously ask for money. I'm so grateful that this movie is even still happening. Mark Wahlberg was like, um, I'm not doing this for less than, I think it was like half a million dollars or whatever he wanted to do the reshoot. Not to mention he was already paid way more than her for a smaller role in the movie. But honestly, I'm not mad at Mark Wahlberg. I'm not even mad at his agent because they negotiated what they thought he was worth and they got it. I'm mad at the studio. I'm mad at the producer who saw this coming and knew this, they know everything. They are looking at the budgets all the time and they didn't go to Michelle and go, hey, you know what? No, because they want to save money too. But uh, So it's very complicated, but it's also not very complicated. Exactly. Yeah, because you've got female artists that are big box office draws now. So it's stupid that we're even having this conversation yeah. that, you know. We should have more transparency so we can be more educated about what we ask for. Yeah, and they negotiate. This is just tells you what uh, what the agents actually all they obviously negotiate the pay, they negotiate the residual stuff, they negotiate who gets top billing. So if you ever see a movie where yeah. the cards come up, you know the title cards come up, and then one name is at the bottom left and the other name is at the top right, all that was worked out already. Oh my God. Uh, like in the deal before that actually came out. So it's, yeah, it's a whole rigmarole. Like I listened to an interview with Jason Bateman when he was, oh God, the show a long time ago that he was on before Arrested Development. They asked him, oh, you want to direct? And he was like a kid. Oh my God. And he was like, "Uh, yeah. And he did a really great job at it. Uh, You know, he did a really, he was organized. He did a really amazing job at it. But I mean, yeah. offer that to his It's so true. I mean, once we start talking about female directors, that's a whole other boys club. I have a few girlfriends who are directors and they're like, we just want to be invited to the table. We're not even having the conversation because we're not even at the table. No one's inviting us. So they got to get their own meetings and their own tables and their own, you know, their own projects going because no one's going to call them and be like, hey, female director, would you like to direct this masculine box office movie? No. I mean, now it's happening a little bit more because people are getting called out, but I don't think that it's 
yet uh, the instinct to do that. No. And after Bridesmaids was such a hit, um, everybody was so excited and feeling and, you know, kind of like, oh, this is, we had, there's hope, you know, this, this amazing female driven comedy just tore up the box office. And then they did like some studies like the year or two after Bridesmaids um, had come out and they found that it had actually gone the other way. So kind of the boys club in Hollywood had said, nope. And they had jerked things back the other way. And actually there were less uh, in every category. So we're, we're kind of working, we have to kind of work against that. And since then, of course, things have come out and been exposed. And so we're, of course, in the Me Too movement. Yeah. We're so happy to have you in Hollywood, Heather. Hollywood needs more Heathers. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for being a listener and just, you know, being so wonderful and transparent about your story. Congratulations on all your success and forthcoming success. We'll be looking out for you. And everybody, if you'd like to check out Heather's work, heatherhorton.net. We will also put that link on the So Money website. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. And I hope your weekend is so money. So money.